Welcome to the C3 Church Coffs Harbour podcast. We're glad you're here. We pray that you'll be blessed and encouraged by this week's message. Working to make them because they're quite fun um, to do. I love craft uh, and scrapbooking and this is just a way for me to do that in a ministry sense. And, and so I, I don't really care whether you use the booklet or not, but, but what I do care about, what our heart for this church is that we would answer the questions in that booklet. Not just go, oh, cool, they're, they're cool questions to pose. What does Jesus want for these certain areas of my life? But, but we would desperately ask that you would answer those questions. Jesus says in Matthew 16, verse 26, What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? Or what will he give in exchange for his soul? This is why I think it's really important we stop to ask this question, what does Jesus want? For this era, for my money, for my marriage, for my family, for my health, for my mind, for my uh, career, for my involvement with church, for my influence on this world, what does Jesus want? Because the thing is, we are often asking ourselves the question, whether consciously or not, what do I want? What do I want for my money? What do I want for my job? What do I want for this? What do I want for my life? And they're good questions to ask, but, but the what do I want question, and it needs to sort of line up with what does Jesus want, because if all we're focused on is what I want, chances are we're going to take ourselves to a place where the answer to that question is a little bit different to what Jesus would actually want. Because as Christians, as followers of Christ, as disciples, as Jesus, as God's children, our primary focus should be what does God want for my life? So I think it's important we ask that question. And I had this thought this week, um, but by default we can, we can often, I, don't, I won't speak on behalf of you, I'll speak on behalf of me, but we can, we can so often default to an overly religious way of thinking about things. So we can hear questions like, what does Jesus want, let's use the finance one because it's, it's just a hot topic. What does Jesus want for my finances? Right? And we hear the question, we hear the words exactly as they're, as they're said, what does Jesus want for my finances? But what tends to happen sometimes is when that question gets filtered through the cogs of our brain and gets digested into our heart for us to answer, what ends up being spit out at the bottom is not what does Jesus want for my finances, but we interpret that as what does Jesus want from and we automatically go to, okay, well, he's wanting stuff from me. This is what he wants from me. This is, but no, no, that's not the question. The question is, what is he wanting for? We're not looking at the, the micro over this series. We're looking at the macro. And the whole point of this question is exactly as it's phrased, is not what does Jesus want from this area, but what does Jesus want for? We've got to take our eyes up to a higher level of seeing from a macro perspective, look at our life in its entirety. And once we understand what Jesus wants for our life in the big picture of things, then when we understand when he asks something from us in the small things, it's easier to do because we've got a greater understanding of the bigger plan he has for our life. So when it comes to tithing, when it comes to generosity, these what does God want from my life, these, these, these micro areas, it's easy because we have an understanding of what he wants for our finances. So I can give, I can sacrifice, I can tithe, I can... And so whatever area that is, when we understand what he wants for us, the outworking of what he's going to require from us is so much easier when you have that big picture understanding. So we've looked at What does Jesus want for our marriage or our singleness if we're not married? What does he want for our family life? What does he want for our health and well-being, our mind, 
And all these messages are available on the website, on podcasts, Spotify, iTunes, all this sort of stuff if you want to listen to it later. Ben last week unpackaged three really pertinent areas. Um, our friendships. What does Jesus want for our friendships? And I love what he's saying about when it comes to our friendships, are we being influenced or are we influencing our friendships? Are the people we hang around, uh, are we helping them come closer to Jesus or are they dragging us further away from him? And then we need to make a decision around that as well. Showing hospitality, our sacrifice must be present in friendships, otherwise it's not true, authentic friendship. Um, and then looked at Korea, which was awesome. And I've got so much great feedback from your message, Ben. People are saying it's, it, was, it was freeing, it was permission giving. This is the language I'm hearing about last week's message and I, I would totally agree. Um, I love what he said about Korea, that God is more concerned with how we do what we do rather than what we do. That's, that's an important thing to get. God is more concerned with how we do something than the actual something itself in regards to our career. That God would encourage us to chase the passions that he put inside of us in the very first place. That we, I don't honestly believe, and I know Ben doesn't believe as well, that, that God would put us in a job we hate for 50 years just to pay the bills when he's put gifts inside of us that draw us to a thing that we actually enjoy. That life in God's kingdom is not purely meant to be endured, but it is meant to be enjoyed. So if we chase the passions of our heart with godly intentions to glorify him with those things, then that's the life God would have for us. And then whatever we do, whatever those things are, do it with all our might. And then finances uh, talked about how it's not about how much we have, it's about what we do with what we have. And, and probably the clincher for me was this beautiful phrase, and I, I'm going to assume it's yours, and I'm going to give you all credit for it, but money is not a reward from God, it's a resource from God. That was powerful. I'm like, that is awesome. Is that, that's original? God bless you, my friend. Um, Money is not a reward from God. It is a resource from God. So good. Even the playing field. You don't have to be rich to do something. You've just got to do something. So today we're going to look at, first of all, what does, God, what does Jesus want for my involvement in the church? Luke 4.16, speaking of Jesus. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. So if that was translated into modern day terms, what it would be saying is, and Jesus, according to his predetermined decision, he would be at church on the church day. That's what that's saying. And for me, I look at that and go, sweet. Jesus made the synagogue, Jesus made church life, Jesus made uh, the tabernacle a priority for himself. And obviously that was the culture of the day as well, so it's a little bit easier. We have a, a culture that exists today that isn't conducive with, well, everyone just goes to church, everyone goes to tabernacle. We have to make a choice to go against the flow of current culture to do that. But, but I believe that, that church attendance and getting involved in a local church is the baseline starting point for Christian development and practice. That's where it begins. And for our family, and I know many other families in this church, it's, it's a non-negotiable. It's like Sunday is church day. We go to church on Sunday. And I can even hear people go, oh, that's just religious. You've been religious about that, having to go to church every Sunday. Well, not really. Because that would mean I'm religious about Wednesday being a school day for my kids. And Friday being a school day for my kids. And same with Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. It's not religious, it's just that's a school day. They go to school on those days because I'm laying a foundation for their education. So Sunday 
is a church day, not because I'm religious, it's because I'm laying a foundation for my family about prioritizing the house of God and being involved in the house of God to fulfill the plan and purpose God has for my life as a contributing member of that house that he's planted me into. So it's not religious. It's a choice I've made, a predetermined decision I make to be at church, and as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord in the Lord's house. And so many people go with that, and I love that. What's, what's religious is when I miss my daughter's dance recital because I need to be at church. That's religious. What would be religious if, if I chose to not be at my family's wedding last weekend just because I had to be in church, otherwise God's not going to be happy with me? That's religious. Like I've already made a predetermined decision that Sunday's church day. However... There's certain things, if I'm sick or if I'm away on holidays or if there's major things, then, like for example today, most of our South African contingent aren't here because Julie and Chart Duvenage, I think I said that right, um, it's their um, citizenship ceremony this morning where they're becoming Australian citizens, which is awesome. So all their South African friends at Connect Group are out there celebrating this service as they become Australian citizens. And I'm like, that's awesome. What would be religious is like, oh, we can't be there to celebrate this significant day for you because oh, the old ball and chain of the church is calling. We've got to go there every Sunday and miss out. It's like, no, 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 this, we are the church, whether we're here on a Sunday or not. But, but we need to just make, and I don't want to contradict myself with these points, but we prioritize Sunday because it's a church day and Jesus sets the example for us to do that. Here's a great scripture we all know very, very well. Acts chapter 2, 42 to 46. It's a snapshot of the early church. And, and I've said this before, I'll say it again, we, we do ourselves an incredible disservice as Christians when we disconnect what we are experiencing and encountering now from what Acts chapter 2 talks about. Because even though there's like a 2,000 year time gap between when all this took place and today, we are still a continuation of this very church that Jesus established with his disciples back then. Just like we now, uh, C3 Coffs Harbour, are a continuation of Sean and Jane's leadership. Uh, for 18 years they led this church, and for the last six, Anna and I have taken it on. And it's not just, it's not just that's a different church. No, we are a continuation of what was established by them. And on a bigger scale, the church is a continuation of what the Apostle Paul and all the disciples started way back in the day. Well, it's not a disconnect, it's not something different. It's the same thing. It looks different, but it's the same plan and mission God has for humanity is through the outworking of the mission of the local church. So here's what it says. Take keen notice, and I'll do my best to emphasize these words as I go through, but the amount of plurality in this passage, the amount of togetherness and unity that is not about one person, but it's about a group of people. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and to the prayers and all came upon every soul and many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles and all who believed were together and had all things in common and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need and day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. There's a sense of togetherness, unity, a decidedness in, in their hearts that they would forge together. Romans 14:19. 
So then, so then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual building up, for togetherness. Matthew eighteen nineteen, where two or more are gathered together in my name, there I am. Luke eleven seventeen, every kingdom divided against itself is laid to waste, and a divided house falls. So therefore, inversely, a house that chooses to be united together will stand, will thrive, will grow, will remain strong. Hebrews 10, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as we see the day drawing near. So there's this sense of ownership of making a decision to be unified in the house of God together. John Piper, a great thinker, pastor, leader, author, he's Jack of all trades, really, um, has this, this great, really pr- provocative and challenging quote. He says this, Being an active member of a local church is to make a commitment to a group of people who hear the word of God preached, respond to it accordingly, who love and encourage one another, who hold each other accountable. To resist putting your name on the line for these things shows that there is something terribly wrong. He goes on to say, if you read the New Testament and you believe that the scripture is teaching us to be a part of community, to give ourselves to ministering there, to give ourselves to receiving ministry there, to advance the cause of the gospel there, to uphold the name of Jesus there and to do mission there, but we resist being actively involved and committed shows that our opposition is not a biblical conviction, but I'd rather choose to do my own thing conviction. Scripture is rife with Jesus wanting us to be together, unified, committed to one another. And uh, that's what Jesus wants. So the point of this, this whole series, just to reiterate, is, is we want to, over these 10 points, we're looking at t- 10 key areas of our life, create a biblical framework or an outline for, for us to all go away and color that in for ourselves. What that will then look like outworked in our situation, in our family, in our life, in our workplace, in our neighborhood. And, and so we're not, um, we're not just trying to say, this is what you should do. What, what Ben and I have, have tried to do is create, uh, like I said, this, this, here's an outline. This is what the Bible teaches about these specific areas. And we need to go away and prayerfully consider how we could make some changes or adaptations to, to live a life that Jesus wants for us specifically. My second point today. Uh, what does Jesus want for my spiritual gifts? Remember, not what does Jesus want from my gifts, but what does he want for them? I remember a couple of years ago talking to Mrs. Mangs on the front row here. And uh, she was telling me a story about a, a, a radio interview she heard about a guy who had, I'm not sure if you remember this, he, he retired and moved to a little coastal village. And everyone in that village was a surfer. And so they get up in the morning, they go for their surf, and then they come back in, have coffee, and do what they need to do around the house for the day. Then in the afternoon, they go out for a surf again. And, and that was part of the culture, that sleepy little coastal village that he had retired in. The only problem was he had never lived near the beach in his life and didn't know how to surf. So he didn't want to miss out on the culture of that sleepy village town. So what he went out and did was bought a really expensive uh, surfboard, a great wetsuit, all the bells and whistles, and l- looked like what the locals would call colloquially a kook. And so he would take all of his awesome gear, surf stuff, put it all on, and then the, the dorm would break in the morning and he'd paddle out with all the dudes surfing and he'd then just lay on his board. Just lay, lay out there, 
waves would roll past, guys would surf past him, and he would just lay flat on his board. And after a couple of hours, when the boys go in for their coffee, he'd paddle back in and board under his arm where he'd go. Afternoon would come too, he'd go back out for another surf, he'd paddle out the back and just lay on his board. That's all he ever did. He never enjoyed the freedom and fun that comes with learning how to surf, which I assume that's what comes with surfing. I've never surfed in my life, but I assume there is freedom and fun in surfing. And it got me thinking, how many, how many of us with our spiritual gifts can live like that? We, we get saved by the incredible price that Jesus paid for you and I to receive freely the gift of grace that he has for us to receive an impartation of his Holy Spirit, which comes with a suite of gifts that he has uh, specifically designed us with because we bear his image and bear his likeness. And with that comes a suite of gifts and opportunities for us to then advance his kingdom. And it's like being given a brand new surfboard and a brand new wetsuit. And we can come to church and we can talk the language, but we just, we can lay flat on the board never fully experiencing the freedom and the fun of what it, what it means to build something significant with the gifts God's given us. And so oftentimes it could be an insecurity thing, I'm not good enough, somebody else is more gifted, somebody else is more talented. But the gifts of the Spirit are not meant to be compared or contrasted. They're meant to be enjoyed and developed based on what you have been given from Him, not what somebody else has been given f- for them. Because we're meant to use our, our gifts together collectively to build God's kingdom as one and each of us have been given different tools and given different trades in a spiritual sense to build and it's like being on a work site and and a plumber not doing the plumbing because he's jealous because the spark is laying in cable but that's not your job you've been given specific tools to be the best plumber you could be plumb the heck out of that place let the electrician do his thing Preaching is not the ultimate expression of God's giftedness for humanity. It's an expression of God's giftedness to help the body of Christ grow. Hospitality is a phenomenal gift of the Spirit. Generosity is another gift of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12 talk about the gifts, and they're not even exhaustive. They're just an example of the availability of gifts that are on offer that God freely gives to his, His children. And so I think for us, I would hate to think that the gifts that God has dispersed into us um, would be just left dormant while we just lie on top of them, waves of opportunity roll in, roll out. Everybody around us seems to be surfing and standing up and having fun, but we haven't. I've made my point. Zechariah 4.10 says, Do not despise the days of small beginnings. The kingdom of God operates from small things becoming big. That's just how it works. A seed is planted, it grows, and Anna used the beautiful example today of a mango tree and all those sorts of trees that are big that start small. And that's how it works. And we see that the church, the church started small. A handful of disciples chasing after Jesus, spreading the good news to the four corners of the earth. David, for all his exploits, started small. Youngest brother, overlooked, weak, whatever. God used him powerfully. Joseph, similar sort of story. Small, insignificant, overlooked. God used powerfully. Jesus gave up his throne in heaven, entered earth as a small 
baby, completely helpless, needed to be helped with everything, toilet trained, potty trained, helped to walk, all those sorts of things started small and yet he grew to something significant. The disciples, again, just knockabout blokes, tradies that were just doing their thing, but, but God used them from their humble beginnings to make something great out of them. This is how the kingdom of God works. The small that we might have is not small when put in the hands of God who is large. Because everything put in the hands of God who is large becomes larger. And, that, and what I mean by that is when we, when we operate our lives in such a way where we're asking the question, what does Jesus want? It's like we're putting this area of our life into the hands of God and saying, God, do with it what you will. We don't just bury it in the sand like we heard the parable of the talents last week. Um, I've got more notes on that, but I'll, I'll, I might just leave that for another time. And I think and the gifts we, we give, um, we get given are generally something, stuff we're passionate about. Um, like, like Ben was talking about last week about career. It's like, you know, stuff that we, we are actually good at or, or capable at. They're the gifts that God will generally give us. And um, to identify those gifts, it's, it's, I guess it's a case of seeking God, um, being aware of what gets you excited when you're serving in the house and when you're serving other people, and also asking people who have reputable spirituality to, to identify and call out in you the things that they see as what God has gifted you with. And there's a bunch of scriptures there we can look at at home. Last point. Where we get for time. Fantastic. Are we doing okay? I know there's a lot to chew on. There's a lot to, to, to digest. But, um, and I don't want to just overwhelm us with information and, and, and stuff like that. I really want us to get to a point where we are thoroughly asking of ourselves these questions. What does Jesus want for this area of my life? Um, anyway, last point. What does Jesus want for my impact and influence in this world? Deuteronomy 28, verse 13. And the Lord will make you the head and not the tail, and you shall go up and not down. John 17, 18. As you sent me into the world, so I've sent my disciples into the world. Jesus made historic impact on the world through his followers, who took his teachings to their logical conclusions in their time and place. This is still what Jesus is wanting us to do today. I want to just touch on that a little bit. Jesus wants us, just like his disciples did, to take his teachings to their logical conclusion in our time and place. That's what the disciples did. Jesus taught them a bunch of stuff. They witnessed him do a bunch of stuff. They watched how he interacted with people, what he said to people. And they took the logical conclusions of his teachings and his life and then helped bring that into their time and their place. And that's what we're called to do now. And the reality is it's 2020. It's not 1975 anymore. So we don't want to take the teachings of Jesus to the logical conclusion for a time and a place we don't currently live in. That's not going to be effective. I can't take the methods and the cultural issues and the world that once was in 1975 and bring the teachings of Jesus to a context that is no longer relevant. 
Now, the, the gospel doesn't change. The, the, the message does not change, but the method does based on how we reach the current culture that we are currently living in. So we have to have our finger on the pulse of what does a 2020 world look like and how do we take the teachings of Jesus to their logical conclusion in this time and place? Because what worked in 1987 is probably not going to work in 2020. What worked in 1996 might not work in 2020. So we have to then be smart and look at the teachings of Jesus, which are timeless, draw them to their logical conclusions about how the kingdom of God actually works, and then translate those into a time and space that we currently live in and help people with issues that are relevant to today and talk a language that is helpful for people to understand today. And my fear is that the church historically have always been 20 years behind, living in a, in a past bygone era where that was the good old days. What we need to understand is the good old days don't exist. They were just good days, old days. Just because we caught a glimpse of the glory of God then doesn't mean that's the fullness of God's glory that will ever be revealed to us. The fullness of God's glory will be revealed to us one day in eternity. And God might just stick his finger and poke holes in the darkness of this world to reveal himself all throughout time and place. But we've got to be aware of where he is today, what he's doing today, so we can reach a world that we live in today. How we dress, how we speak, how we interact with people, how where we are, people's needs, and how we translate and transpose the timeless truths of Jesus to these situations. That, that's why you will read in Scripture. There's so many parables about agriculture because agriculture was the main industry in first century times. So people, the current culture, understood agriculture because that's what they were involved in. A farmer goes out, he sows a seed. They're all like, yeah, I get that. I understand that. That makes perfect sense to me. And that seed does this, that. Yep, got that. Absolutely got that. So we have to now find what it is that is the current heartbeat of culture to, to deliver the truth of Jesus to reach this world. Because we are called to have an impact and have influence on this world. Deuteronomy says that we are the head and not the tail. Jesus says, as, 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 as the Father sent me, I'm sending my disciples into the world to have influence, to have impact. And there's two major ways we take this, the logical conclusions of Jesus to our time and place. There's two ways we can do that. We can do that through evangelism or we can do that through humanitarianism. Evangelism is addressing the eternal needs of people. So without Christ, we are all destined for an eternity uh, away from God, apart from God, that we would know and understand to be hell. But with God... We have our eternity secure with him in heaven, which is paradise, which is this sanctuary we talked about. So that's evangelism, addressing the eternal needs of people. And then we have humanitarianism, which is addressing the temporal needs of people. Clothing, shelter, food, water, all those sorts of things that are really practical needs. And in the past, what's happened with, with the church, you've got really conservative churches that will focus heavily on evangelism. Well, it doesn't matter. Man does not live off bread alone, but it's about every word of God and you must be saved and you must go and, and confess your sins. And, and, and there's a lot of legalistic churches that, that over the history of Christendom have been heavy-handed on reaching this world through evangelism alone. 
And there's a lot of liberal churches that will sort of go, well, look, uh, if we reach them with their practical needs, then we might create an opportunity for us to then speak the, to their eternal needs. So we just got to help people and we'll start agencies and organizations that will help people with food and clothing and shelter. And we'll just be good, kind people to people. But, but the church I read about in Scripture, evangelism and humanitarianism are two wings on the same plane. And it's problematic if we just have one wing. All we do is witness to people about Christ. What happens if a plane has one wing? It goes round and round in circles, doing the same thing over and over again. Not achieving its mission, just going around the mountain, doing the same thing like the Israelites did for 40 years. Oh, if we just meet people's needs, we just serve people. We just, yep, same thing, just help them, just do whatever we need to do. Not tell them about Jesus, we're just going to meet their temporal needs. We just fly around in circles. But when we have both arms stretched out and we are reaching to people's eternal needs while meeting their practical needs at the same time, we can fly over humanity having the impact and influence God has called us to have to reach this world with the good news of Jesus Christ. Here's what Paul says. I'll show you my faith by my works. You will see the God of heaven who I serve by how I serve you. Because our faith without corresponding works is dead. It's like a one-winged plane going around in circles. But when we realize what Jesus wants for our impact and influence on this world is for us to be bold enough to go there with people about their eternity while being bold enough to sacrifice ourselves to meet their needs here in the temporary time we have on this earth. So what does that look like for you? Jesus says, as you did it for the least of these, you did it to me. Every person we have influence on or we have an impact on that we help them with their eternal needs and we help them with their temporal needs, we're doing it unto unto him. Every person we serve, every person we help. This is why it's so important for us to not just ask the question, what do I want for my life? We've got to ask the question, what does Jesus want for my life? Because I guarantee you what Jesus wants for my life, for your life, for our church, is far greater than we could ever dream or conjure up if we just simply ask the question, what do I want? His thoughts are higher. His ways are greater than our ways. So that's this message. That's this series. What does Jesus want? For our marriages? What does Jesus want? Or if you're single, for your singleness, what does Jesus want for my families? What does Jesus want for my physical health and well-being? What does he want for my mind? What does he want for my friendships? What does he want for my career? What does he want for my finances? Career and finances are two different things, right? Career career is how, how we earn money. Finances are how we spend and use our money. They're different things. What, what does Jesus want? We looked at today for our involvement in his church. What does he want for our spiritual gifts? And what does Jesus want ultimately for our impact and influence in the world around us that starts at home 
and goes next door and goes to the following street, suburb, state, and ultimately to the ends of the earth. Because that is the Great Commission, to go into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples. To, to tell people about the Jesus they need to secure their eternity and to train them and equip them by helping them to help others. That's the Great Commission. And my prayer is that what we want for our lives would line up with what we've first determined that He wants. Thanks for tuning in to the C3CH podcast. We trust this week's message inspired and encouraged you. We hope to see you in one of our services soon. For more information on C3 Church Coffs Harbour, visit www.c3ch.com.